grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's good to be here with you all this morning. Uh, this morning is an interesting time in the calendar as well as the church year, uh, because typically the last Sunday in the church year falls after Thanksgiving. Uh, so everyone is already excited and ready for Advent and, of course, Christmas. I mean, the buildup has really begun. But every once in a while, we get this kind of awkward time where the last Sunday in the church here is before Thanksgiving. Uh, and so I thought it was fitting this morning to share my thoughts with you about what is a uh, hot topic here at St. Andrew. Uh, for all of you who have been playing Christmas music before Thanksgiving, I rebuke you in the name of Thanksgiving. Here's the thing, guys. Uh, I love Christmas music as much as the next person. But before Thanksgiving, it's just wrong, you know? Uh, trust me, in five days, everywhere I go, you will hear Christmas music. I promise. But, you know, come on. Uh, let's give Thanksgiving its just due. Uh, let's give it its just desserts or just turkey, you know, all of that good stuff. But, of, of course, today is also a great day of celebration. See, the irony that this day, this Sunday, falls before Thanksgiving means that we get to celebrate our thanks today. Our Thanksgiving celebration starts right now because today is Christ the King Sunday. It is a day in which we celebrate and we give thanks that Jesus Christ is the King. And it just felt that way from uh, the entire morning uh, you know, I've been here since, you know, pretty early this morning, and it was all exciting. I mean, we had our kids singing here, too. Just everything about today has been so joyful and exciting. I can see that some of you are really happy. Perhaps that's because you're thinking about, you know, Thursday, and then, of course, the Christmas music that you can play. Uh, and there's just been this general level of excitement and joy. I mean, who knows? <laughs> the preaching might even be good today. You know? Uh, wow, guys, ouch, man, okay. Maybe not. But there's just this feeling of excitement and joy for all of us this morning uh, as we're getting ready to gather with family and we're celebrating and giving thanks and, of course, uh, celebrating Christ the King. But there is one thing that wasn't really exciting, uh, one thing, especially in our service, that wasn't really joyful, our reading for this morning. Uh, that text that was read, uh, it's not exactly what you would expect when we're talking about Jesus Christ the King. That text is not about Jesus coming in uh, on a donkey, riding into the city of Jerusalem with the palms being waved and everyone celebrating him, giving him glory and honor as the king. In fact, it's kind of the complete opposite of that moment. Our text from Luke 23 comes at a time when Jesus was in his last moments. It time, comes at a time when we wouldn't exactly expect to hear about a king. It's at his time of crucifixion, his time of death. And yet, chiseled into this story this morning is the proclamation and the confession about a king. And so this morning, as we walk through that text, I want you to remember this. Jesus Christ reigns. In death and in life, Jesus Christ is the only king forever. Now, last week, uh, we were in Luke chapter 21, and Jesus was with his disciples uh, doing his last teaching. He was foretelling the destruction of the world that is going to happen. Uh, and in the midst of that, he was also proclaiming to them that they do not need to be afraid because he is going to be with them. That even though this is all going to happen, he's going to be with them. And now, 
In Luke 23, we're just a little bit later in the story. Our text for today opened up with verse 33, as it said, when they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with two criminals, one on his right and one on his left. There is no mincing of words in this text. We're not building up to the story. We are immersed right into the middle of the crucifixion of Jesus. He's already been dragged through the city in front of all the people. Simon of Cyrene has already helped him carry his cross to Golgotha. He is there. The cross has been laid down. He has been nailed into it, the nails in his hands and his feet, and he is on display for the whole world to see. This is exactly how a crucifixion was supposed to be. It was supposed to be something that was on before all people and something that was brutal, something that was evil, uh, something, in fact, a crucifixion was meant for the worst of people. That is how only the worst people were supposed to die. And so it's, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that Jesus would die that way. See, a crucifixion was meant to dehumanize people. It was meant for people to be able to uh, spit words of scorn and, and evil upon the person on the cross. It was meant to take a person and turn them into a thing. And that's what the religious leaders wanted to do to Jesus. And in fact, we see this all throughout the Gospel of Luke. The religious leaders are constantly showing their evil towards Jesus, uh, that this was a moment that they had really been waiting for. If you go back to Luke chapter 4, uh, you'll see that Jesus is teaching in the temple. And before all the Jewish leaders, he rolls out one of the scrolls. He reads the prophecy from Isaiah, closes up the scroll, says the prophecy is about him. And the Jewish leaders were not happy about that. They were so filled with rage. In fact, in Luke 4, verse 28 says, When they heard this, when they heard all that Jesus had taught, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up and drove him out of the town and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. So filled with, hang with anger and hatred that these people wanted to throw him off of a cliff. This was really Jesus' first initial teaching. Uh, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus hasn't even called his disciples yet. And yet already, the religious leaders want him dead. It's clear that this was a moment that they had been waiting for. And as we go back to our text this morning, our text continues as they're scorning him with their words, they also begin to cast lots for his clothing. And clothing was an interesting thing back in that time because it was a sign of uh, your status in society. So typically for a king, they would have been wearing an incredible crown filled with gemstones and uh, the nicest, finest jewels. And of course, they would have been wearing some sort of a cloak or cope or robe, and that would have been the color purple, because the color purple signified royalty or nobility. But the king that day was wearing a crown of thorns, and he had been stripped of his clothes, and they were gambling for them as if this was some sort of prize to be won. This was a moment for the religious leaders that day that almost sounds glorious. Uh, they were so excited 
in this moment. It seems as if they'd waited so long that now they were finally going to get to kill Jesus. They were going to get to put to death the man that they that's claimed he was the king of the Jews. Well, now they were going to put him to death, which means that he was not the king, that they had the power. This was an opportunity for them to sort of prove themselves that he was wrong and they were right. They'd been waiting for this moment, and it was finally here. As I thought about this moment, as I reflected on it, it didn't make any sense. I can't understand how they couldn't see that this was the man who came to save them. I couldn't understand that this was the man who continuously showed them love and taught them how to love their neighbor, and yet all they wanted was to put him to death. It didn't make any sense. How could they not see that he was the Messiah? How could they not see with all the miracles that he'd done before them for even some of them, and yet they still didn't believe that he was the king? It doesn't make any sense. As I reflected on what it must have been like for the people then, I also thought, well, what is it like for us today? And the reality is, I still have doubts in my own life about Jesus' love, even though I've experienced it myself and seen it in the lives of so many others. And, and sometimes I still have uh, doubts as I trust in God above all things. I struggle to trust even when things are so out of my control. I think I can do it on my own, and yet I'm only drawn closer because I can't. It's hard for me to see that Jesus is the king. And perhaps if you struggle with anything, sometimes it's hard to see that Jesus is the king. And why is that? Uh, the only answer that I could come up with is because we don't expect Jesus to be the king. Or at least he doesn't meet our expectations of a king. See, Jesus shatters our expectations of a king. He reigns in a way that we could never have expected. He ate with the tax collectors and the sinners. He hung out with the lowest people. He washed the feet of the people who served him. We have all these worldly expectations and ideas of what a king should be, and Jesus shatters them all. And that is how our king reigns. But sometimes we're blinded by our sinfulness. We're blinded by these expectations that we've set for kings and rulers. And what Jesus does is he reigns through that. And so we need to remember that Jesus Christ reigns. In life and in death, Jesus Christ is the only king forever. This, in fact, was known by some of the people that day. There were some in the crowd who were mourning, who were grieving the loss of their king. And in fact, it was an interesting group of people. Uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. The, the disciple whom Jesus loved was there. And yet the words that we hear today are not from someone in the crowd, but rather one of the people next to Jesus. It's a confession of one man 
who knows that Jesus Christ reigns. And his confession was this. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. These are the words spoken by the second thief on the cross. Uh, that is, in fact, the only way that we can identify him. See, we know about the first thief because he was up there condemning Jesus, saying, if you are the king, save yourself and save us too. But this second thief, he saw through it all in that moment. He said to the first thief, don't you see? We are guilty. We belong on the cross. But this man has done nothing wrong. And his confession does not just have earthly impact, but it has eternal implications for that man. And that man was a despicable, disgusting murderer. He knew that he deserved to be on that cross, and yet, in that moment, he confesses that Jesus Christ is king. And his confession literally changes his life. That is our confession, church. Those nine simple words that Jesus Christ will remember us when he enters into his kingdom. Because Jesus Christ is a king who rules with truth and grace and with love. And he shows that love to us. For when we make that confession, when we say those words, we ask Jesus to remember us in his kingdom. Even in our sin, he says this to us. He makes this promise. Truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. How beautiful it is to know how our lives end. That they end with Jesus Christ in paradise. That that is his promise to us. That he reigns. And that does not just have eternal implications, but it has earthly consequences right here and right now. The reign of Jesus matters for us here and now. And I want to share three ways that we can cling to the reign of Jesus. The first one is that we do not have to fear anything about the rulers of this world. If there's one thing that is true about all the rulers of the world, all the kings that you can imagine... In this world, they all fail. If you look at the Bible, even, the best kings, so to speak, failed. King Saul, the first king, well, he failed. He disobeyed God. King David, who we laud and honor, he failed. He committed adultery. King Solomon, the wisest of all the kings, even he turns his back on God. And I don't have to tell you about the failures of the rulers and leaders in our world today. But what I can tell you is that no matter how much authority or power they think they have, Jesus reigns. He reigns over all things, for Jesus Christ is the only king forever. And so it is in him that we put our trust. The second implication is that because Jesus reigns, we do not have to fear death. This was, in fact, part of the confession of the man on the cross. He knew that he was going to die. And yet, even in that moment, he confesses that Jesus Christ 
is king. And this does not mean that death does not sting. This does not mean that death does not hurt. This does not even mean that we will not grieve. But it points us to the reality of the promises of Jesus Christ that even in death, we know that we are going into the kingdom of heaven, that our loved ones who may have passed away, they are with Jesus because he reigns. In life and in death, Jesus Christ reigns. And so we draw nearer to Jesus as we seek his peace and his comfort and his hope that comes through his life, his death, his resurrection, and one day, his return. Because Jesus Christ is the king. And the third implication for us is that we are free to confess Jesus Christ to the world. And I realize that last one sounds pretty obvious, and that's good. It is obvious. This is what we do as Christians. We tell others about Jesus. Uh, but by doing that, not only is it exciting for us to do it, we are also inviting people to experience a new life in Jesus. As we tell people about what Jesus does for us, we are inviting them to experience that same life, a life in which Jesus reigns. This is, in fact, what the man on the cross did that day. With those nine words, he invited all of us, Christians for all of eternity, into a new life with Jesus, a life in which Jesus reigns, and one day we too will enter into that kingdom. The reality is that Jesus' death it doesn't make any sense. Even back then, the Jewish rulers thought that they had won they thought that by killing Jesus, it was their victory, but it wasn't. In fact, the death of Jesus was a victory for us. See, because Jesus did not just die, he defeated death, and he reigns over death. And so Jesus' death is a victory of life for you and for me, both now and forever, for Jesus Christ reigns. He is the king. Jesus' death is something that, that doesn't exactly make sense. It's something that goes beyond our wildest imagination. Jesus doesn't exactly fit the description of a king, and yet he is the greatest king to ever reign. In fact, as Jesus was on the cross, he was still seated upon his throne. For Jesus Christ reigns. And so today is indeed a great celebration, a day in which we celebrate that Jesus Christ is the King. We make that confession to a world who needs Jesus, who needs the King, who reigns over all things. And so church, as we are filled with joy, as we celebrate and give thanks, we remember that Jesus Christ reigns. In death and in life, Jesus Christ is the only King forever. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.